0: Well, we started a series last week titled Recovering Discipleship, Recovering Discipleship. And it was largely inspired by a book that I read over my study break uh, by a theologian named named James K. Smith. And the title was You Are What You Love. You are what you love, and it's a book on discipleship, and it was so compelling, so encouraging for me that I was like, man, when I come back, I need to do a preaching series on a lot of the main ideas, a lot of the content of this book, and so this uh, series is kind of crafted from that book, and it's titled Recovering Discipleship. It's a five-part series. We are in week two. Now, if you weren't here last week, uh, I just want to catch you up to speed really briefly with three of the main ideas, and these three main ideas are going to permeate Through all of the sermons throughout the series. And so I'm gonna repeat them and I'm gonna share them with you, and we're just gonna keep like evolving and growing uh, and building upon these three core ideas that I wanna shape discipleship around here at All Nations. Um, And so the first idea is this discipleship is not, or it is a direction, not a destination. Okay, discipleship is a direction, not a destination. What I mean by that is that if we are going to recover discipleship, In our context, here in 2018, Southern California, All Nations Community Church, uh, then we need to break out of the mentality that discipleship is something we accomplish through a program or a curriculum. You guys have probably grown up in churches that have like discipleship training, a special discipleship class. Maybe you've gone through them. I have as well. Or maybe you or you have friends who have gone to like Hawaii for discipleship training, and that's like a three-month or a six-month or a year-long program, and that seems to be like the pinnacle of discipleship. And if you could just do that, then you would be a fully-fledged, ready, equipped disciple. I want to blow that up. I want to deconstruct that because discipleship is not just a program. It's not a curriculum. It doesn't just happen because you read one, two, or three books on discipleship, and now suddenly you think you are ready to go. Rather, we must realize that discipleship is an ongoing, it's a lifelong journey, and it's a direction in moving towards God in love and moving towards one another in love, just as Jesus Christ has taught us to love God and love others. Right? Just as Jesus has modeled for us, not just in moments, but in his entire life. His entire life was a life of loving God and loving others. Right? He modeled for us the life of a disciple. And so discipleship is a direction, not a destination. Not a destination. That's the first thing I really want to share with us. The second idea is this. We are not merely thinkers. We are most importantly lovers. Okay? And this connects with how we do discipleship. Okay? We're not primarily thinkers. We are primarily lovers. Discipleship is not about gaining more knowledge. It's not about acquiring more information about Jesus and Christianity. So many of you guys don't think you're a disciple or don't think you're mature because you don't know all the terminology and you haven't read enough books and you haven't read the Bible enough times through. And I just want to share that being a disciple of Jesus is not about acquiring enough or more an adequate amount of information. We need a break out of the culture that tells us that education is like the silver bullet to solve all of our problems, okay? Especially as Americans, on top of that Asian Americans, we have this idolatry towards education. We think education is like is the means to success. Education is the means to uh is the means to security. Education is a primarily, like, primary accomplishment for us as young adults. we got to get into the right schools, get into the right programs, get the right degrees, and then that will make the rest of our lives cushy, right? That will make the rest of our lives straight and narrow. That will solve all of our problems. Parents think that all the time. They're like, oh my gosh, i got to get my kid out of this school into the right school, and then my kid will flourish and do really well. I just want to say we need to deconstruct the idea That education, right, is the solution to our discipleship problems, okay? Now, this doesn't mean we need less education, okay? Uh, It actually means we need more than just education. You guys see the difference? So I'm not saying don't read, don't think. No, 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 no. I'm not saying we need less education. We need more than education. We need spiritual formation because we're not just thinkers, okay? We are lovers, we are lovers, and so we need something that will form our hearts, something that will shape our souls. Okay? We are not just what we think. We are what we love. Okay? You are what you love. So the real work of discipleship is renewing our hearts and reshaping our loves around the gospel. Okay? That's what discipleship has to be, not just more information, more knowledge. It's about renewing our hearts, reshaping our hearts. The third idea is this. Our God is a God who does renew our hearts, okay? He does. He's able, and he does, and he does this by the supernatural work of the Spirit, okay? That's so important because as we're like groping and grabbing and trying to change our hearts, and it's so, so difficult, we need to realize the promise of the gospel is this, okay? The promise of the new covenant is this. The work of Jesus and the Spirit is this. He takes our hearts of stone and gives us hearts of flesh, okay? The moment we put our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we experience something that's called a new life. That's what it means to be born again, and God does this for us. So for any of us here that are like, gosh, it's so hard to change my heart. It's so hard to change my deepest desires. The answer that the gospel gives us is, yes, it is difficult. Only God can and God does by the supernatural work of the Spirit. But the second assurance is this. He also then reforms our heart, not by just a supernatural work of the Spirit, but by an ordinary means of grace. Okay? If you've never heard this term before, ordinary means of grace sounds very ordinary. It's kind of vanilla, basic, and plain. Okay? And um, what the Bible is talking about in means of grace is that God uses ordinary things, such as the spiritual disciplines, for extraordinary ends to reshape our hearts and our loves. He uses worship. He uses prayer. He uses service. He uses hospitality. He uses encouragement. He uses fasting. He uses meditation. He uses the sacraments. When we take the body and the bread and juice, symbolizing the blood and body of Jesus Christ, He uses these ordinary things to reshape our hearts. Okay? And that's an amazing promise that we want to build upon because we learn that, that, that this new life, the Holy Spirit is birthed in us, okay? this new life, we can learn how to live it through these ordinary means of grace known as the spiritual disciplines. I'm going to talk more about that later. Now, the title of today's message, man, don't you feel like I should pray and end the sermon? That's like three points, right? We're good. Sure, like, so I kind of feel that, but today, um, Clayton Kershaw Curveball, no three points, one point sermon. Ooh. One point sermon. And the title is Formed by Worship. Okay? I'm going to be building upon these three foundational ideas that discipleship is directional, not a destination, it's directional. The second idea is that we are what we love. And the third idea is that God reforms our hearts through ordinary means of grace. Today, I want to unpack the question how does God form us then? Okay? Each week as we gather in Sunday worship, what is what we are doing right now? How does this connect with discipleship? How does God form us through this hour and 15 minutes, hour and 20 minutes of worship that we have together? What role does worship have in discipleship? And the answer to that question is, it's absolutely essential. Okay? It is absolutely essential in discipleship. You see, friends, if it is true that we are what we love, okay, then it is equally true that we worship what we love. Okay, you and I, we are what we love. Okay, that, that, that really reveals our core identity. If you love money, then you are going to do all that you can to chase after it, to acquire it, to, to um, yeah, to grow it. And here's the thing, if you love money and you lose it, you will be crushed. You will be crushed when you, ha- when you don't have it. You are what you love, and you, are not, and you worship what you love. Those things are essentially connected. Now, uh, let's get into the text today. Um, if you have your Bibles, please turn to our passage in Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 12 to 17. Col- Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. It's also going to go up on the screen, and I'll be reading from the ESV. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. The word of the Lord. Now, um, if you study this passage, there are two parts to break it up, okay? Two parts to breaking up this passage. The first is verses 12 to 14, and then the second is verses 15 to 17. You can split it up right there. Now, in the first three verses, okay, the controlling verb of that passage is um, this phrase, to put on. Okay, This is what Paul uses to kind of show us what's the the controlling idea of this passage. He says, put on the virtues of the Christian life. And he's using this metaphor of clothing, Like, put it on, like you would put a shirt on or a jacket or a sweater. Put on love. Put on compassion. Put on kindness and humility and patience and forgiveness and so on and so forth. He shares that list. He says, put these things on. Clothe yourselves in these things. Now, why should we do this? Why should we take compassion and gentleness and patience, and forgiveness seriously, and Paul tells us the reason why we should put these things on is because we are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. The children of God are called to reflect the heart and character of God. That makes sense. That absolutely makes sense, and here's the thing. Even though the metaphor is clear and simple, the reality is that this is easier said than done, right? This is easier said than done. We can't just become humble because you know you should, you can't just become patient because someone told you to, right? How many parents here would just, like, you guys would love if that worked. You tell your kid, be kind to your sibling, and just because you said it, they're like, okay, I'm going to be kind. And they actually do that. It'd be amazing. It doesn't work like that. God Almighty tells us to be humble and we are still proud. Does that make sense? And so it's not just about saying it. It's not even just about hearing it. It's not just about understanding it. There's something in us that struggles to actually obey it. Even the command to forgive. Okay, Paul actually gives a little bit of an argument. He says, if someone has a problem with you or you have a problem with one, another person, forgive them. Why? Because the Lord has forgiven you. That is so clear and straightforward. The logic, no one struggles with, right, guys? I mean, the gospel tells us that Jesus, through his death on the cross for us, he takes our sins and he casts them away as far as the east is from the west, right? All of our crimson sins, all of our rebellion, Jesus forgives us, wipes the slate clean. We're like, awesome, amen, amazing grace. And Paul is saying this, just as you have been forgiven by Jesus, forgive others. Like, that makes sense. We don't have a problem with that, right? Not logically, but what do we have a problem with? We have a problem with actually forgiving someone. If somebody has hurt you, if somebody has gossiped about you, if somebody has betrayed you, if somebody has ripped you off in business, if somebody has, yeah, taken something that is precious to you, right? You know you should forgive because Jesus has forgiven you, but you won't do it. Why? Because your heart won't let you. Your heart is hardened towards them. And this goes back to that connection. You are not just what you think. Your mind is not the control center of who you are. Your heart is. Does that make sense? You know you should forgive, but you won't. Why? Because your heart is hardened. Your heart is stubborn. Your heart refuses to forgive. That is us. That is our struggle. So what do we do? What do we do? So this is the question. How do we put these virtues on? How then can we actually become these kinds of people who are compassionate, gentle, patient, kind, right? How how can we actually become these people? Not just the people who know what it means to be humble, but actually live it out. Not just people who know we should forgive, but actually do that. To, To be a people who actually have the courage and the character to journey through reconciliation. Do you know any people like that? People who have been deeply hurt, deeply sinned against, and yet they demonstrated and lived out gospel forgiveness. And rather than run away from them, rather than turn away from them and say, you are dead to me, I do not want to be in a relationship with you, I don't want to know you, I don't want to see you, I don't even go to the same church as you. That's our natural tendency. Have you ever met anyone that said, you know what, you hurt me, you sinned against me, but I will not only forgive you, I want to be reconciled with you. Do you know people like that? Jesus wants to make you that kind of person. He wants to make us that kind of church. And when we start living that out, that's when discipleship is happening, friends. Not just because we started discipleship training class that lasts eight weeks on Wednesday nights at seven o'clock. Discipleship starts to happen when we start applying and living out the gospel of Jesus. When we start imitating Jesus, that's discipleship. Not just reading books about it. Does that make sense? And I don't want us to experience this more and more. And so I am asking the question, like, how do we do this? How do we put these virtues on? Not just talk about them, not just covet them, but how do we actually wear them, like the clothes on our backs? Well, the answer is found in verses 15 to 17. And Paul shifts the controlling verb from a command for us to actively put on to a command for us to be formed, Okay. So he shifts. Verse 12 to 14, the controlling verb is put these things on, compassion. Put these things on, forgiveness, gentleness, these virtues. And then in verse 15 to 17, he starts talking about letting yourself being formed by something. It's the difference between doing something and allowing something to be done to you. Paul exhorts us, and he exhorts the Colossians, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Do you see the difference there? He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Do you see the shift in connection Paul is trying to make for us? As disciples of Jesus, we are called to be humble, patient, forgiving, and loving. But how this happens is not by our just sheer effort. It doesn't happen because we are resolved to now be humble. I'm going to look myself in the mirror every day and say, be humble, be patient. I told you a couple weeks ago, I used to go into every staff meeting at my previous church, and I said, be humble. Be gentle, right? Be loving in your words. And after every staff meeting, I had to repent because I was mean, right? I was judgmental. I was critical at my lead pastors, at my other pastors, right? so awkward. But every time I'm telling myself, be humble, be kind, and it wouldn't work. It didn't work. Humility, virtue, patience, love. They don't come to us just from knowledge acquisition. They don't come to us just from reading more books on the topic. It actually happens as we experience worship together as the body of Christ. This is where we're going. This is where Paul is leading us. You see, reflecting on this passage, James Smith, he writes this, and the quote's going to go up on the screen. You can follow along with me. This is what he says. We clothe ourselves in Christ's love and put on the virtue of love by letting the word of Christ, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly by teaching and admonishing one another, by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The practices of Christian worship train our love, and they are the practice for the coming kingdom, habituating us as citizens of the kingdom of God. I love that last sentence, because it reminds us that as Christians, We are citizens of the kingdom of God, okay? That's a beautiful gospel truth. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are ushered in to the kingdom. You are a citizen of the kingdom. And here's the problem that you and I have, right? Our entire lives have been shaped around the kingdom of this world, okay? We've been living under a citizenship to this world. So we, in our system, like money is power, in our system, we operate out of scarcity and self-preservation. In our system, we, 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 we covet the things of other people. We are so insecure that we make idols out of comfort. That's such an awkward thing to make an idol out of. It, but at the end of the day, we just want to be safe. We don't want to be trampled upon. We want everything to be orderly. And, and so we, we pursue these things. We make idols of these things. We live according to the kingdom of this world. And so even though we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and even though in position we are citizens in the kingdom of God, you and I, we don't know what that looks like, what that means. Does that make sense? We don't know how to live as citizens in the kingdom of God because all our lives have been citizens in this world. So what do we need? We need to be, as James Smith writes, we need to be habituated to kingdom, kingdom citizenship. Okay. We need to be acclimated. We need to be taught what that looks like. And worship is the primary place where this transformation occurs. Okay. Worship is where you and I get to get a glimpse of the kingdom. We are reminded of the kingdom. We learn about what it is and what it means to live in the kingdom of God. This takes place here at All Nations on Sunday as the people of God worship Jesus. Why do I say that? Because every kingdom needs three things. You need a king, you need service. You need citizens. You need people. And lastly, you need, a, you need a land. Does that make sense? If you're a king but you have no land, are you a king? You're a king of what? right? King of your couch? Right? If you're a king and you have no subjects, if you're a king and you have no people, you're just Tom Hanks, like castaway on his little island. Is he a king? No, no, he's a castaway. Right? Or if we are a people in a, in a, in a room but we have no king, then, then we're not a kingdom either. But here on Sundays... As the people of God, we have Jesus as our king. We are his sons and daughters. We are his citizens. And where does he reign? He reigns in our hearts. He reigns in our church. Hopefully he reigns in your household with Jesus as the head. This is the place where Jesus' prayer is answered Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is the place where we need to experience and realize and align ourselves with the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? And this is why Sunday worship is so important and so central to discipleship. It takes place week in and week out as we gather as the people of God. And Paul is telling us that we must worship regularly. We must worship intentionally as a habit to let our lives be aligned with the kingdom of God, to let our lives experience the word of Christ dwelling with us richly through teaching, admonition, and singing. Now, I said, I used the word habit. And uh, for many of you guys, habit is like a word you don't really think of. Okay, It's definitely not an appealing word in our culture. A lot of times when we think of habits, we associate it with bad things. Bad habits, like picking your nose, biting your nails, using your phone while you're driving. You're like, I know I shouldn't do that. It's, it's not a good habit. And so that's how we kind of like, kind of like shelve that phrase. Like, habit is just kind of a negative word. But I want to try and redeem that word for us today. Everyone knows that if you want to be good at something, you have to develop positive habits. Okay, positive habits. When it comes to dieting and exercise, we need to make things a habit if we want to see change or growth. Just eating one kale salad is not going to get you healthy, right? It's a good start, but that's not going to bring your cholesterol down. One kale salad at Whole Foods, nothing, right? Going on one walk will not lower your blood pressure as much as you and I would like that to be the truth. Those things need to become habits, good dietary habits, right? Good exercise habits. I wish I could work out hard just once and be yoked for life. Right? Wouldn't that be awesome if that was the case? Just one time, you just, you just go 110% and then after that you are ripped for life. But that's not the case. That's a pipe dream. Okay? It's actually been said that uh, in order for you and I to build a habit that sticks, you need to practice it for a minimum of 21 days straight. Okay? 21 days straight to kind of get a habit uh, that will like, stick and start to be like, part of your life. Now, that's the minimum. For many people, it takes 90, okay? For many people, it takes 90. There's a follow-up survey, and it's like, hey, is it really 21 days? And they actually found for the average person is 90. So if you're trying to develop a habit and you're not getting it in 21 days, you're just on the back end, but I think most of us are there closer to 90 than 21. Now, here's the thing. We know good practice habits are also essential for skill acquisition, okay? If you wanna get good at golf, what do you do? You gotta go to the range, regularly you can't just watch tiger woods like all day and watch golf videos and think that's going to make you better at golf it's it's inadequate you got to actually put in the reps right and go to the range regularly if you want to learn an instrument you got to practice your scales you got to practice your rhythms and your chords anyone here who learned piano you guys all did hannon right Hanon, right, or whatever, that, yeah, yeah, and it's like those scales, and you just practice those muscle memory over and over and over again, and habit builds skill acquisition. But what we don't realize is this. Habits are also crucial for heart transformation. We know habits are good for skill acquisition, but they're also crucial for heart transformation. Habits are one of the ways that God forms our hearts. You see, an interesting thing happens, guys. When you and I really develop healthy, positive habits, it doesn't just change what you do. It changes what you desire, okay? It changes what you desire. Positively, um, if you're here and you've ever kind of, um, you know, like, like built up the habit of exercise, for those who exercise regularly, can you kind of look back at a moment in your life where you became the kind of person that wanted to and even loved to exercise? You almost became, I know people who are like addicted to exercise, but if you don't exercise and you haven't and you start, the first days, the first week is rough, okay? Um, I do not exercise regularly. And every time I start and I get back on it, I do like 20 push-ups and I'm sore for three days. And I never want to do that again. And so, like, th- that always happens. The beginning of starting new positive habits is always so painful, right? Say you're trying to, like, kick coffee. The first couple days, it's, you get migraines, right? But people that, that get off their caffeine addiction, they say after a couple weeks, you know they start having more energy they start thinking more clearly less stress less headaches all of those things and and but but in the beginning it's so hard it's so difficult exercise diet changes but over time you keep reinforcing these positive habits it's not just you telling yourself you have to do it what happens is we move from like discipline we move from regimen to actually having an organic like desire from having a natural motivation, what began with your head to say, I need to start exercising, or I need to eat better, or I need to do X, Y, and Z, what began with your head through habit changed your heart, okay? What began with your head through habit changed your heart. And I think that was such a key for me because as a pastor, I felt the wall. Man, I preach all the time. I'm teaching Bible studies all the time, and I know that you guys are understanding at least 20% of what I'm saying, right? Right? I know you're getting at least that. And so I'm wondering, okay, if, if, if you guys are tracking with me, then why aren't I seeing more transformation, more change? Why isn't that connection being made between head and heart? And the answer is this. I haven't developed a discipleship path, uh, pipeline here at All Nations where we start building habits together where we start building rhythms and patterns together that are not just kind of like doing programs, but actually starting to cultivate a culture, a culture of generosity, a culture of reconciliation, forgiveness, a culture of compassion, a culture of kindness, to become the kind of people that Jesus wants to form us. I realized, man, we do not have habits here. No wonder the disconnect continues, the barrier, the wall exists between head and heart. But it's through habit that these bridges are made, that we bridge head and heart. And that was huge. Now, um, we're going to move final stages, pa- practical application. Um, that's how we connect the gap between what we know and what we love, habits. Um, let me address two questions that might be popping into your minds right now. Okay? Uh, you're like, Pastor Michael, I don't know about this habit stuff. And, you know, like I haven't heard that much verbiage around it. And in fact, you might be thinking, this sounds a lot like behavior modification. Behavior modification. And if I remember a lot of your sermons, you speak out against that. We've been told that we can't become disciples of Jesus by behavior modification, right? You don't just act like a disciple and then become a disciple. And guys, let me say this. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. The path to discipleship is not by acting like a disciple. Following Jesus is not something where you just kind of like fake it till you make it. You like bring your Bible and like, you know, when the song gets intense, you just close your eyes, raise your hand, and everyone else is doing it. It, it, That's not how you become a son and a daughter of God. That's not how you enter into the kingdom by like acting like other Christians. So yes, behavior modification is not the way to sonship. It's not the way to salvation. It's not the way to discipleship. But... Let me nuance habit from behavior modification, okay? We should view biblical habits as a way to become what you already and truly are, okay? As a way to become what you already and truly are. Remember our passage, okay? Remember our passage. What does Paul say? He says, you guys are God's chosen ones. You guys are my beloved. You guys are sons and daughters of God, and because of that, clothe yourselves in love. Because of who you are as sons and daughters of God, because of who you are as citizens of the kingdom, clothe yourselves in gentleness, humility, forgiveness, compassion. Like I shared, we are citizens in God's kingdom. We just don't know how to do that, okay? Habits are the way for us to live out what Jesus has already made us in identity and in position. Now, what we needed to do is like experience that. We need to display that. We need to realize that. And so biblical habits are a way to become what you already and truly are in the gospel. You see, friends, it is by grace alone that we become the beloved children of God. It is the gospel of Jesus that has granted us entry into the kingdom. And so we don't gain those things by behavior, and you don't lose those things by behavior. It's grace through faith alone. But what our habits do is help shape our hearts. Your habits help redirect your love away from yourself, away from this world, away from these vain and lowly idols. And your habits, biblical habits, these spiritual disciplines, they start directing you and teaching you how to love God, how to love one another. I didn't share this in the first sermon, uh, but James Smith uses this illustration. You guys know what this is, right? Smartphone, Apple phone. You know what this is? This is like an ego device. This is self-love. This is vanity. This is like, why? Because the whole like internet, everything is at the touch of your fingers. You don't like something, what do you do? Right, we all know that. Like that, you, you, you see something you like, what do you do? Right, we all know this move, right? You see something you really like, double tap that on the ground, right? But, but it's all us. It's all us. It's at your control. You want to buy something? Click Amazon, eBay. You want you, you to wanna, wanna read something? You want to watch something? You want to listen to something? Or if you don't, you just put it. And, and so our lives are trained, our culture, this kingdom trains us to love yourself to enjoy like absolute personal autonomy. And what you and I need is we need to learn how to not love ourselves like that. We need to learn how to love God. We need to learn how to love others. And these biblical habits, these spiritual disciplines that God gives us, these are the tools, these are the pathways for us to learn how to do that, okay? To deconstruct our self-love, right? And to reconstruct in us genuine gospel love for God and for others. Now, That's the difference between behavior modification and habit. Behavior modification thinks you can do it and then get it. No, no, no. Habits is we have it. We have salvation. We have sonship and and daughtership, right? Uh, We now need to live it out. We need to experience it. Second question you might have is this. Does this have to be about the church? Can, Can we just broaden it and not make it about Sunday worship, because that seems so limited, Pastor Michael. I mean, four, four, you know, four walls in this church, and, and let's be missional, and let's be about like, the world. And I'm going to say this. Yes, this passage is about the church. Paul is talking about worship as a primary locus of discipleship and spiritual formation inside the church, as followers of Jesus Christ, Our primary experience and discipleship must be in the church. Yes, the implications. Yes, following Jesus takes us to the end of the earth. Yes, following Jesus will take you out of this church here at 10,000 Foothill Boulevard and into your schools, into your homes, into your workplaces, into our communities. But it begins here. The church is the primary locus of discipleship. And so you cannot skip over worshiping with the church just because you want to be more missional. You can't skip over worshiping with the church because you think you don't need it anymore. You're like, you know what? I've heard Pastor Michael's sermons, and you know, after about a year and a half, they all start sounding the same. Right? We, all, we always sing the same songs anyways. Right? And so you feel like you've grown past it. Brother and sister, if you want to experience discipleship according to God and his word, you cannot move beyond the church. You cannot neglect and forsake the church. Discipleship begins discipleship is central in the church and central in this Sunday worship experience look again Colossians 3 15 Paul reminds the Colossians that they were called into what one body one body what is he talking about and he's referring to the church whenever in the New Testament we're talking about the body of Christ he's not talking about some just vague religious affiliation the Bible's talking about the church as the body of Christ, the church as the bride of Christ. And Paul is telling the Colossians, and he's telling us that as we gather together as the body of Christ for worship, that's when we learn together what it means to be a Christ-centered community. That's when we learn together to be cl- uh, like what it means and what it looks like to be clothed in love. John Calvin, uh, the great reformer. He considered the church, and this was like kind of a new phrase for me, and it's probably new for you. He called the church a gymnasium, okay? He would call the church a gymnasium. He would call it a training ground and a community for sanctification and discipleship. Now, when he uses the word gymnasium, like we're thinking like basketball. I think like, you know, at least 20 of y'all are here just for basketball league. God bless you guys. Welcome to All Nations. Hope you guys stick around. Thank you guys for coming. And um, yeah, man, I hope that you guys would make this your church right? Um, and so we're thinking like, like, you know, athletics, and it's similar. But, but Piper ha- I mean, uh, John Calvin has uh, like a nuanced version of that. He calls the church a, a gymnasium and a training ground because he says, this is where, this is where we really learn and practice discipleship. This is where we struggle with our sin together. This is where we struggle with our sanctification to be more like Jesus. Friends, you know why the church is essential to discipleship? Because nothing grows us faster. Nothing grows us more in Christ than community and relationships. Okay? That is the way to do it. You want to get close to God? You want to grow in your faith? The answer is not run away to like the, 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 the mountains in like Lancaster or whatever it might be. It's not about running away to Malibu and thinking, like, "Man, I just need to spend 40 days by myself and I will grow closer to God. Paul's telling us here, you want to grow in Christ? You want to grow in love? You want to grow in all of these virtues? Get into community. Get into community. In our passage, in our passage, you'll see. You can't practice compassion without relationships. Think about that. You can't practice patience without other people who actually test your patience and make you impatient. You can't practice forgiveness unless you're in a relationship where you have offended someone or someone has offended you. You can't practice humility alone or gentleness in isolation. See, Paul uses this phrase, one another, three separate times in our passage. And he says, bear with one another, forgive one another, Admonish one another. And if you don't know what admonish means, that means like exhort. It means to even like rebuke and correct. But you need to speak truth into one another's lives. Do you guys see that? Paul's talking about growing in faith. He's talking about discipleship. He's talking about being like Jesus. And he says, you have to do it with one another in community. This is why discipleship cannot merely take place with you watching a sermon You can watch Matt Chandler or John Piper or Tim Keller online, and yeah, their sermons are way better than mine. That's fine. But you'll grow in a different way if you come here. You can turn on Spotify or Pandora. You can listen to Hillsong and Bethel or whatever it might be. Yeah, their band sounds better than ours, 100%. Right? (laughs) Okay, like 98%. (laughs) But you will not grow in discipleship. You will not grow in Christ likeness you don't have community there. You and I, we need the body of Christ. You and I, we need to worship in the flesh. So this is my first application for you guys here. If you guys are only here for basketball, or if you're only here for the summer, and you're like ducking in and out, I really hope and pray that you would take Sunday worship seriously in your life. That if you call yourself a Christian. You wouldn't say, "Oh, you know, once a month, twice a month, three times a month is really good, but that you would build in your life the habit of honoring the Sabbath. The habit of gathering with the body of Christ in the flesh, not metaphorically, not allegorically, but in the flesh. With the, we are guys, we are here the body of Christ. This is absolutely important. So I hope that you guys would consider that. And you would realize that this is actually the primary on ramp for discipleship that God wants for you. It's not about just taking another class or reading a book, but it's actually about Sunday worship and gathering together as the body of Christ. Guys, um, I have grown so much in my understanding of discipleship, grown so much in my Christ like character here at All Nations. And it's because God has placed me in covenant. Community. I am committed to you guys. I am your pastor. I'm your, I'm your shepherd here. And that's been a reality to me. Now, now I was a, a college and worship pastor for 11 years at my previous church. But here's the thing at that old church, um, I never got criticized. You didn't know that? It's not, and it's not because I never did anything wrong, I did plenty of things wrong. I just never got criticized. My lead pastor was just such a nice, warm, positive guy that he was always just like, Mike, I'm just so glad we're doing ministry together. I really appreciate you. you know? So even when I do a bad job, he's like, that's okay. It's okay. You know, grace, grace. Right? So I never experienced conflict. And my members, you know, if they had anything to complain about, you know what you complain about? You complain about the lead pastor. Right? So we would all complain together about the lead pastor and what he's not doing for the church. I would conspire against him. The members would conspire against him. It's like completely not fair. It's really, But no one, you know, no one shot bullets at me. Right? So I was completely safe. But you know what that means? At my fr- previous church, I never had to practice reconciliation, forgiveness, gentleness, compassion. Right? All I was doing was like, hey, I'm going to teach Sing some songs, hang out with people, right? I'm the good guy, and everything was great, but here's what happened. When I came here and I became the lead pastor, things got real. Yeah, things got real. I, I, uh, I let you guys down all the time. I do not meet all of your expectations. I fall short. I hurt you. You guys hurt me, right? We are in a covenant community, and you know what that's forced me to do? Be clothed in the love of Christ, that's forced me to be patient with some of you who are impatient with me. That's forced me to be gentle with some of you. When in my flesh, right, I'm, an, I'm ESTJ on my Myers-Briggs. I'm a type A personality. I'm a dominant personality. I don't want to just tell you what you need to do and what's wrong and, and all of that stuff. And that, That's my natural go mode. But God is saying, you know what you need, Michael. You need these things that I'm talking about in Colossians 3. You need to learn what it means to put on the character and virtue of Christ. I have been in the school of discipleship by virtue of being here at All Nations. You guys get that? You see, if you have the gospel without community, that means you will never get close enough to people where you actually need to apologize, Right? where you actually need to be reconciled, where you actually need to experience forgiveness and gentleness, patience, and grace. Okay? If you have community without the gospel, you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna hurt each other, because that's natural. You fight with your parents, you fight with your wife, you fight with your siblings, you fight with your friends, and we do it together here. If we are in church as a community, you will eventually hurt one another. Give it six months. Give it three years. It will happen, because sin is real. If you have community about the gospel, you don't know it. you know what happens? We break apart. we turn away from one another. We need community and the gospel, and that means we will sin against one another. But Jesus will reconcile us to one another. Jesus will mediate. He will be the bridge. He will be the vine and we will be the branches, and we can be a family together. That's discipleship, guys. That's walking with Christ. That's loving God and loving one another in light of the reality of our sin and our weakness. That's what I want for each of us. Brothers and sisters, what if we came with this kind of vision in mind every Sunday, that as Sunday comes around, that it's not just I'm coming to church to to do my duty, that I'm coming to church out of obligation. I'm coming to church because I am a Christian. But what if you and I started coming to church because this is the way God wants to disciple us. This is the time. This is the context. This is the community through which God wants to teach us how to love. Teach us how to love him. Teach us how to love one another. Teach us, teach us how to love ourselves less. Teach us how to, to detach ourselves from this world less. What if you and I came to church every Sunday excited to be renewed, reshaped, reformed, because we knew God was going to do something, that every time we're coming to the gym, the gymnasium of the church for training, for equipping, for sharpening, for strengthening, for discipleship, what if church wasn't a time where you're just passive, mumbling along with the songs, listening to a sermon, hoping that he'll eventually tell a joke and make you laugh and then hopefully be inspiring and then get really emotive and give you the feels and that will be a good sermon. What if you came to church and realized that God had things to say to you? He had serious things to show you about your heart and serious work he wanted to do to make you his disciple. What if you and I, every time when we came to church, we would see God's kingdom come and his will be done. That's Sabbath worship. That's discipleship every Sunday. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we we thank you that you give us these means of grace, these pathways, and these on-ramps for us to experience you to experience you, shaping our hearts, to experience you, showing us our sin, to experiencing you, um, offering us grace, restoration, and guidance. We thank you for the Sabbath. We thank you for this opportunity and privilege of worship. And I pray, God, that for each and every one of us, you would elevate our view, our anticipation, our value of Sunday worship, help us to really understand and see it as this primary opportunity where you wanna disciple us, where you wanna make us a people who reflect your kingdom. Lord, I pray for any brother or sister here who's really considering following you, giving their lives to you, confessing of their sins, repenting of their sins, trusting in Jesus, Lord, would you be with them right now? Would you encourage them and would you lead them? We thank you in Jesus' name we pray.